A small market team has won the NBA championship, the Milwaukee Bucks breakthrough. And with us on the Blazer Focus podcast is our very own Aaron Johannes, who is a trending reporter for the OregonianOregonLive.com. He is a huge Milwaukee Bucks fan. As a matter of fact, he was in Milwaukee for games three and six. I don't know if he remembers much of game six because he says he was firing off the beers like crazy man. Uh, but <laughs> he had a great experience, he says, at the game. He was at the parade. And so we're going to talk with him about that experience and then sort of transition it into, you know, what it, you know, sort of how it parallels with sort of Portland's trials and tribulations of trying to win a title as a small market with a singular superstar. But first, let's talk about your experience in Milwaukee at the game, winning the title. And actually, before that, what's your connection with the Bucks? Are you were you born in Milwaukee or you just lived there for a while? Give me give me the breakdown. Yeah, so I am born and raised in Milwaukee. I am a proud Northside Milwaukee native. Lived there majority of my life until I was probably 23, I think, when I first moved to the Pacific Northwest. And so, I'm yeah, I'm proudly Milwaukee. I am an original, like, Bucks fan. I am not a... You know, the Giannis era Bucks. I am, I'm talking about like Tim Thomas, Sam Cassell, Ray Ooh, Allen. Tim Thomas. Old school Milwaukee Bucks. <laughs> like, I am purple and green. I grew up on a purple and green. So whenever you see me, you, there's a good chance you're going to probably see me in a purple and green jersey or a red and green jersey, which I call the struggle year jersey. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm born and raised Northside Milwaukee. I grew up going to bus games. I grew up watching Michael Red, Sam Cassell, you know, Ooh, that Michael classic Red bus team. Nice. Yeah, it, it, I grew up, you know, from uh, the city and supporting the team and, and having to go through all the, the struggle years to be where they are now. So, yeah, born and raised. And I'm, I'm I can't even describe like how I actually feel right now. <laughs> so given the small market you know, issues that we all know and given the fact that so many champions over the years have involved two major stars, you know, like Shaq and Kobe and then LeBron going to Miami, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, did you did you think that you might not see this happen? And do you feel like, uh, you know, one the stroke of genius for whoever drafted Giannis 15th? I mean, <laughs> that, John obviously was, that obviously was a great pick. And then, you know, the trade for Middleton and then later add, adding Drew Holiday. I mean, was there a part of you that ever felt like, man, we may never be in a position to get this done? I wouldn't say I would say that I always felt that we were always in the running for a championship with with Giannis. I think that you know. But I mean, it was prior always to about, that. I mean, I mean, I mean, prior to that. Oh, prior like, to Giannis coming. Yeah, yeah. Oh. I mean, those all those years you talk about with Michael Red and Tim Thomas. Like, did it just feel like we may never have a chance to, to make this happen in, in this new NBA world? The only time that I think I felt that way was 2000, where we got to these conference finals against the 76ers and lost to. Allen Iverson, Aaron McKee, that's right. that squad. But after that year, I would say in those transitional years, it was really tough to see it. I think we had some great years with Michael Red, you know, Andrew Bogut. I think when Brandon Jennings first came to Milwaukee, I mean, his rookie year, what, his seventh, eighth game, I can't remember, when he dropped right. the 50-point game. I mean, this that night, I was just like, wow, we have a superstar. We're on the way there. Like, we are close to doing this, right? right. And so there were there was small glimmers of hope that maybe we could be a good team in the playoffs to maybe push for it, especially in that era versus like now where you could have a Brandon Jennings and Monte Ellis as you wanted to, which, which today is like crazy to think about. But back then you were just like, okay, I guess this is what we have to work with and maybe we can do something. But there was always just kind of like small glimmers, but it was never as prominent as it has been the last few years where, you know, you have a 
bona fide first ballot Hall of Famer. You know you have a solid and good supporting cast to go along with him. It was never the you never got the confidence that that is on right now for Bucks fans in the last few years, and so that's that's that has been such a, a fulfilling feeling to have right now is to know that you know we won it this year and now we we can attract other players to come in for the next few years and to continue this momentum in the next few years. Yeah, definitely possible. Uh, James Harden listed Milwaukee um, as one of the teams that he would have liked to have gone to. Had you guys signed Harden, he, he, he'd been healthy. You guys would probably have swept through the East <laughs> with that type of combination. So yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see how if winning the title does make future big time free agents say, Hey, maybe I will go to Milwaukee. It'll be interesting to see how that works out. Yeah, I think one thing that is different today versus, you know, back in those struggle year eras was that Milwaukee for so long was just stuck at average. Like we were always having teams and this is part of like how we used to feel all the time. And this is the bigger like reasoning and bigger feeling of like Bucks fans back then was that we were always a good playoff team or a good team to make the playoffs or a good team in the East or a solid underrated team. You know, we had years with. John Salmon, John Salmons, you know, Mike Dunleavy and some other key guys that were just pretty solid, good players to go along with like Michael Redden and Jubilgate. We always felt like we were average, but we could never get over that hump. We were never like too good and we were never like too bad to be a lottery team and just rebuild. We were just stuck in the middle. And there are so many teams that are just stuck in the middle and they just need a superstar to get they need to get lucky in, in, in right. the, the nice way to put it. They need to get lucky and get a superstar to really get them out of that funk if you're in a smaller market versus like LA or New York where you can, att- well, I don't want to say New York because the Knicks suck, but like LA, for example, <laughs> where you can just really have that, that leverage of that larger market to get you over out of that mediocrity or that averageness that you're in. So we got lucky with Giannis and we're able to finally get past that, that weird phase of just being average for years. And now we ascended to being like a championship caliber team. So to be able to get past that funk that we've just been in for so long, that is a, that is also just really rewarding for Bucks fans today. You are listening to the Blazer Focus Podcast. We'll be right back after a short break. Okay, I'm not necessarily trying to be an antagonist here because um, I know this is, this is a joyful time for you. But the only reason why I'm going to say this is because a lot of Blazers fans are saying, hey, Milwaukee did it with one superstar. They made some good moves, built the championship team. Why can't we do this around Lillard, et cetera, et cetera? For one, you know, sorry, I'm just, you know, a, a 6'10 elite guy versus a 6'2 elite guy. I think most NBA GMs would take the 6'10 guy because the defensive ramifications of that. And then, you know, what, what's he shooting? 60% from the field. Like he's just such an unstoppable force. Uh, in, in that regard. So I think there's a difference there. I think Giannis is better than Dame all around. And then number two, the Bucks won the title, but they also benefited from a super team falling to pieces in terms of injuries. And so at the end of the day, if you win it, you win it. But I don't think Milwaukee winning it proves that a small market team is in position necessary to compete with the LAs and, and what Brooklyn has done and what Miami did in the past. Because if AD... LeBron, Kyrie, and Harden were healthy. Do the Bucks still win the title? Well, I think there are kind of two things for me. It's like, I think one, 
you know, every year, every year has its own different hypotheticals and situations. There's going to be injuries every year. So, you know, this year was obviously like historically like way more injuries than past years. Right. But I think every year there's just going to be those scenarios that kind of fall into place that allows a team to advance or win a championship potentially. Um, but then the second thing, I think when it comes to Portland specifically, I think this more than anything shows that, man, the Blazers need to step up the pieces around Dane. Like, so much more than what he has right now. I mean, when you look at Giannis, like, his number two is Chris Middleton. Chris Middleton is a two-time All-Star and better than C.J. McCollum. And this isn't shade to C.J. McCollum. C.J. McCollum is a very good player. But Chris Middleton, when you look at how he played down the stretch of games in the playoffs this year and how he was able to close and hit big shots for them, like, having somebody else that can do that and compliment your superstar is so huge. And then you look also around to having, you know, a Drew Holiday who – man, made me lose so many years off my life in this playoffs. It made me lose so much hair because of just how <laughs> up and down he was, right? But Drew Holiday, just having him. But then you also just look on the outside of Brooke Lopez, who's a good defensive center that can shoot the ball. You know, Pat Connaughton that can come off the bench and shoot the ball. Former Blazer Pat Connaughton, by the way, um, that can shoot the ball as well. Um, the Bucks still need to improve in some areas. But, like, you know, having guys like Bobby Porter's, uh, P.J. Tucker, like guys that are just going to come in and are just going to fight, going to hit some big shots, that are just going to defend and play hard, like guys that are essentially dogs. You know, and having those complementary pieces around somebody, it is essential. Like, you're not going to do it without it. And so when I look at Portland's situation, you have Dame, you have C.J. McCollum, who's good as a borderline all-star, but everything else around that, man, that that is the biggest thing that the Blazers really need to fix if they want to be able to do this with just Dame is those complimentary pieces in the roster around him just has to has to significantly jump. And we're going to talk about this later, but I think I'm, I'm kind of going to dive into a little bit with like Norm Powell, but the Blazers, they really got to be able to upgrade that for him and I, to even have a chance. Otherwise, the Blazers are going to continue to be in that average spot where they are right now. I don't want to say average, but in that spot and in that rut that they've just been in the last few years where they can't really get past where they they have been right now. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt. And, you know, for five years, I've swam upstream against a lot of people saying they, they're, they're never going to win a title with Damon CJ as the best two players because of the size issues and the defensive issues. It's something that's never happened in the history of the NBA as two small guards, as the yeah. best players on the team, won a title, and they didn't play defense. Bad Boy Pistons, those guys played defense. Literally in 50 years, it's never happened. So that's a difficult thing to overcome. And now to your point, Chris Middleton, you know, some of the numbers with CJ are similar, but Middleton's numbers overall are better, and he's 6'7". I'll take 6'7 over 6'3 any day. And then also, Drew Holiday, you know, offensively, Drew Holiday can be very streaky, but defensively, he had a defensive rating of 105, right? Yeah, he was up, I'm going to look up Damian Lillard's uh, defensive rating here while we talk, but... So this is a difference in the overall talent when you factor in every category that you need around Lillard than uh, with Milwaukee than what you have with Portland. Because as good as CJ is as a scorer, and he's a phenomenal scorer, he's not giving you defense, he's not giving you length and size, and he's not giving you um, elite athleticism. So those things at the end of the day are going to play a factor, especially in a series. Now that said... It's bothering me that so many fans are acting like this roster is junk and garbage and it's trash. That's just dumb. Like, I'm just flat out saying it's just dumb. They finished tied with the eight for the eighth best record in the league. 
Not eight, I keep saying this, not 18, not 28, 8th. And they did that with CJ and Nurk missing 60 games and with Powell joining the team the last two months. It is conceivable. I mean, it's more than conceivable. It's probable that if they are healthy next season and Billups helps fix the defense, if they go from 29th to even 19th, that they will be a top four seed in the West. They finished tied for fifth this year with all those problems. Now you could argue, well, the Lakers would have been one or two had LeBron and AD not gotten injured. You're correct. And maybe other teams are going to improve, but I don't think this is a garbage roster. I think they just need to make one major move if it's possible to balance the roster out better because playing three guards, like I just said, two guards have never done it. Playing a three guard lineup, that's never done it at all. <laughs> Obviously as well, you're just, too, you're just too small. So yes, Milwaukee is a better team. Is that on Olshay? Maybe, but I think, I think what Milwaukee did with drafting Giannis 15th, Blazers could have had Giannis. They took CJ 10th, right? But he was a mystery. A lot of people don't remember that. A lot of people didn't know what Giannis was going to be. He only averaged seven points as a rookie even. Middleton was averaging six points wherever you – I can't remember where you guys traded he was, yeah, he was, from. He was in Detroit in, in his first Detroit, year. Detroit, right. So that was, a, that was a great trade. Like th- those two moves right there were huge. So high praise to Milwaukee for making those two moves. Portland needs to get lucky with such, such a move. It's just difficult to find those types of deals. But the thing about those moves, I will credit – to John Hammond in the front office for that. And the front yeah, office has and yeah. the but the Blazers front office has to do that. They have to I think they really gotta make a really good move for them because and I and I understand like getting, you know, a first battle Hall of Famer Giannis is really good and getting Chris Middleton as a throw in on a trade is it's not it's not it's not gonna happen necessarily all the time. But Yeah, those things but, are not common. Yeah. But but I still think that in order for the Blazers to really be able to make move, they this to really jump to where they want to be, this roster has to change. And I don't think necessarily the roster is garbage, but the roster has to make... I think I really do think, though, that the roster does need a big overhaul. Um, I, I think that when they've just been in the last few years in the, similar, in the same type of positions that they have been, outside of you know having Dame and CJ, like there's been so many replaceable guys just coming in and out. And I think that... That I think that's just a a, a, um, a stain on the front office. I, I just think that you're just not going to win with this roster, and you're not going to win doing some of the same things and bringing in some of the same guys every single off season. So I think, so I don't think their roster is garbage, but I think that they do need to make a big makeover for this team to to be better. They they have to get someone who can play two guard or the small forward, who is a star caliber player. I think to win a championship, yeah. that's just a given. Like that's a given. But again, this is what annoys me, annoys me about Blazers fans right now is it's like, they're just forgetting certain facts that occurred. Like people are like, Oh my God, three out of the last four years, we went out in the first round. Okay. Well, the one year you didn't go out in the first round, you went to the West finals and lost to the, to the Warriors when, you know, obviously that's a legit team to lose to. And then the next year, Nurkic is out. For the entire season, right? You lose Zach Collins the third game of the season. Those are your two defensive <laughs> interior guys. Not that, not that Zach Collins is a star, but if Zach Collins is giving you 14 and seven and playing defense. That's a huge loss to go from him to Carmelo. You lose Rodney Hood for the season to an Achilles. So you lose three starters are out. You get them all back and make a run at the bubble, but your run at the bubble is just to get the eighth seed where you play LeBron and AD, the Lakers. You can't, 
if you're being honest, you can't even count that as, oh, we lost in the first round. Of course you lost in the first round. It's a miracle you made the playoffs. So to me, I don't even count that year. And then this past year, like I said, if they hadn't lost 60 games from those two guys, they're literally a two, maybe a three, a three, maybe a two seed. And then they play a better first round matchup. And then they probably don't lose in the first round. So again, I'm not saying they're going to win a title with this team. I think they do need to move CJ if they want to have a chance. But if they run it back next year and they bump the defense up to 19 and everyone's healthy in an 82 game season, they're winning 50 plus games. Like I think that's just a given that they're going to win a 50 plus. So it's not a sky is falling situation. It's a, here we are. We're a good team. We're not a championship team. In order to become a championship team, we need to get players like the championship teams have. And one other point, I mentioned the defense thing. And, you know, I'm just at the point where I'm just not even going to mince words anymore because it's just gotten so volatile with Dame, you know, allegedly maybe wanting to trade. Like I said, Drew Holiday, 105.7 defensive rating. Chris Middleton, 106 defensive rating. And they're bigger, 6'7 and 6'4. Damian Lillard, a 120, 120.5 defensive rating. CJ McCollum, 122.3 defensive rating. Now that's in the playoffs, so I'm going to be fair. Now I'm going to go to regular season. So because everyone was talking about how they lost to Denver and how oh, we lost to a team missing their guys. Well, your two guards had 120 ratings in the, in the playoff series, and he didn't have to face Jamal Murray, right? So wh- who's this all really on? If they don't have Jamal Murray, an all-star guard, your two guards getting lit up. But who who are we blaming? Defensive rating during the season for uh, Dame was 115.6. For CJ was 112.8. He actually was the best defensive guard on the team. And then for your boys, you got a six seven guy out there in Middleton giving you a 110, which is better. And then you got Drew Holiday out there giving you a – hold on a second. It's hard to call this stuff up. A 108.8. A 108.8. So, you know, if we're being honest, this isn't a situation where poor Dame, they won't give him better players. Your backcourt is not playing defense. (laughs) And your center, your rim protector, has missed over 100 games the last two seasons. And your other rim protector has missed 140 games the last two seasons. So these are just facts. Well, anyway, well, go ahead. well, I will say, you know, when you have those injuries down low, right, isn't it also still part of, you know, the front office and GM's part to be able to be able to withstand those injuries and to be able to be okay and to have a roster that's talented enough, though? How many big guys are you going to sign? You, you, got, you lost your two best. You're supposed to have two more guys to slide right in there? Who has that? I, I, don't, think they're, I don't think they necessarily have to be guys that are – you know, at the same level, but just replacement level guys that can help you kind of ride this, like ride it out, you know, ride the storm into, okay. you know, to weather the storm in a way. So if Middleton and Brooke Lopez missed 60 games, Milwaukee would have had the same record. No, they would. No, I don't think they wouldn't have, but they still would have made the playoffs. And I think that they still would have been able to like be a solid, I think they still wouldn't have been, would have been able to get to the playoffs and get at least maybe past the first round. Like I think they could still be solid. Who's your replacement players? So Connaughton starting now? I mean, did you see my It'll be point? Pat Connaughton like, and then Dante. The, the idea that a GM has two guys on the bench that he's just going to roll out. Well they, shouldn't, well, they shouldn't be two guys, but they should just be able to have at least one guy. Like, because uh, here's the thing. If it was like the first year and this happened, okay. But this has happened, like, Nurk has been pretty injury prone, right, the last few years. That Collins has been able to stay healthy at all. 
So, like, if you've noticed this trend just over and over for the last few years, by now they should at least be more equipped to handle that now because they've seen it happen multiple times, right? Like, versus the first time where you just might not be ready or whatever the case may be. But it's but it's been a trend now. And to not be ready for that trend, to be anticipating it, like, I think you got to be, I think as a general manager, you, okay. you, you know the you know the trends of your roster. You know when guys are getting more hurt or like you know, you know if you got an injury prone, uh, like you know if you got an injury prone receiver, you know you're gonna probably need some backup and to have a good insurance policy behind them, right? Like that's just part of it, and they just kind of haven't had that, which is kind of problematic. Ennis Cantor was a double double guy who had a thirty rebound guy. They did have someone behind him, but you can't. Ennis Cantor is horrible you defensively. You're not no, gonna. I know, he's you, terrible. I know, but you. To me, it's illogical to say you're gonna a team is gonna be able to prepare to lose your two best six eleven seven foot defensive presence. I don't think any team's ever had that. Like I'm thinking back to the Bulls when they won six championships. The backup to Bill Cartwright was Will Purdue. The backup to Luke Longley was Bill Winnington. Like you're not you're not going to be able to because anyone who's really good in that area who would be the guy to back up those guys just in case they get hurt would probably be starting on other teams. Like it's it's just I don't know. I'm not I'm not going to criticize the GM for not having a third really good defensive center. That doesn't make sense to me. Sense to me, but anyway, the overall point is that they're never going to contend with what they have. They're yeah. good. They're good. They're going to make noise. They'd be a threat to people. But you trot out three guard lineup. I don't care if your defense improves. The bottom line is one of your two guards is guarding someone six seven, six eight, six eleven. And I, it was just it just tripped me out how they would try and act like that wasn't a big deal when Norman Powell was trying to guard. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's gonna be that's gonna cost you some easy buckets yeah. here and there. And also, when CJ and Dame and 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 Powell would drive the lane, how many shots would get blocked or disrupted? Yeah, by even six, seven, six, eight, and the six, nine, ten guys because they were just too little, and none of them are just ultra athletic where they're just gonna do something crazy and dunk on somebody or anything like that. So yeah. we agree on that. They have to make a deal. Yeah, but as the roster sits right now. They're going to win 50 games. No doubt in my mind, they win 50 games next year. I think ultimately we both agree that, and it kind of gets to I think what Damon's been hinting at that they've been they've been okay, but they they do need to improve the roster. That they do need to just make some changes. Um, and I think that's what Dame has kind of been at, where it's like you know, hey, like I'm loyal here. This is where I want to be. This is you know, this is where I, like I enjoy this market. Let's just let's just shake some things up a little bit, and let's just make things a little bit better, and kind of improve it. I think that's I think that's where Dame is at, and I think that's where like you and I are both kind of at as well. Where it's like they're yeah. they're okay where they're at, but they need to get better if they want to. They need to improve the roster if they want to get better, regardless. Right. Dame was cool with the trajectory because he believed in his guys, he believed in himself, and he was under thirty. Now he's over thirty. Now he's thirty. Now he's even old. And now yeah, and now it's just like okay, we lost in the first round. Um, I'm looking around the league. I'm thinking to myself, yeah, you know, it's going to be really difficult for us to compete with this type of roster. The danger in all this is that you're kind of saying publicly that your guys aren't good enough for you, right? And I, and I wonder at the end of the day, I mean, that's what he's saying. I mean, he's saying, I need to see more urgency. We need, we need, are we going to make a move? Are we going to do this? I don't know what I'm going to do. You're basically saying, I don't know if I want to play with these guys. That's what you're saying. There's no way around that. He has publicly said, I don't know if I want to play with this team. So I may want to go to another team. So I'm wondering how that's going to play out with the guys on this roster. That's one. Two, 
what move is going to be available? Like it's, you know, it's, it's funny to me when I see fans bashing CJ, CJ sucks. CJ got to go. He sucked against Denver, blah, blah, blah. Can we turn him into a superstar? What? <laughs> like, what? What are you guys talking about? Like that's, it's a difficult hurdle to clear to a have there be a star available and then B have the team who's willing to trade that star want your package over someone else's and then see if that guy's on a one-year deal is he going to resign is it going to be worth it in the past with Toronto excuse me in the past with uh Kawhi the Blazers were dipping in that but they weren't all in because Kawhi said to the Blazers I'm not going to stay I'll play one year and so this was three years ago Dame's 28 the feeling was as I've been told that well if we make this move for Kawhi we get him for one year CJ's gone Kawhi leaves after one year. Now it's just Dame. Dame's going to want out would be the fear. Now you're just back to ground zero. Now at age 31, though, I think it would be more, they'd be more amenable to making that deal because you're already at a crossroads with Dame as it is. So if you could get someone like a Kawhi to come for even one year, you make a run, it doesn't work. If Dame can't convince that guy to stay, that guy leaves and then you trade Dame and start over. That's sort of what I see how it's going to play out if they can't move CJ for something better. I think Dame is definitely at the point now that he's 31. He's realizing that those health benefits are going to expire pretty soon. And that he <laughs> ultimately has to make the best situation for himself. Because now it's like he's not in his 20s anymore. Right. Now he's getting older. And now he's like, look, this is supposed to be the this is supposed to be the time where, you know, it's I think I think the third, like the mid to mid-30s, I would say almost, are pretty much like the time for like a lot of players in the league where they're just like, you know what, I'm not here to be, you know doing the grind anymore like at that point a lot of players are just like you know what like i want to win like i'm tired of grinding it out in the postseason every single year by myself and somebody else and losing in the first two rounds like this is this is the time where i'm like you know what like you know he's 31 you know i'm getting close to 30 i i feel him man those benefits are running out pretty soon <laughs> like I, I i get it like i understand the urgency where he's coming from where he's just like i've been here so long and that i don't have much time forever and i want to enjoy these next you know, the next last few years of my prime, especially with this contract extension kicking in too. So I, I kind of feel for him, man. And I, and I want to be able to, I want to be able to see them make a change and to add somebody else that's going to be able to help them. Whether that's, I don't know what it is though. That's the thing. I don't know what trade that they could really do. Like I don't buy into the Ben Simmons stuff. I don't know who they oh, can I sign do that from free to see. I mean, I would I do that. I, I would do it not, not for Dame, obviously, but like I would certainly oh. do that because I think that's a great fit for them. Yeah. But for CJ, uh, yeah. But it's just like, man, I don't. I I kind of just don't know what the best option is then for right now. What Dame's going to have to do, but I think ultimately, I think ultimately though that Dame is going to have to come forward and say like he's going to have to come forward and, and and put it out there pretty soon. Like just be straightforward with it. He's kind of hinted at it, but I think he just has to be straightforward and say like this isn't this isn't going to work. This team is just not working for me. This is. This is not putting me in the best position that I feel can help me win a championship, and I need to move on. And right. I think it's going to get to that point. Exactly. My thing has always been not this summer, but next summer, if they haven't made a major move to yeah. become a, a legit contender by next summer, then I think you make the move. And I think it's best for the franchise, too, because he'll still be at the peak of his powers as long as he doesn't suffer a major injury. He'll still command a lot. You can move him. You can move CJ. You can get a boatload of picks. Hopefully, you can get young players involved. Um, some young talent, like, you know, for example, I wouldn't do it this summer, but next summer, Dame to Philly, you get Ben Simmons and some picks. Now you got a 26 year old, you know, three, three or four time all-star, um, to build around with Anthony Simons. You get a bunch of picks, you trade CJ, do the same thing. 
and then you just go off into the sunset in that direction. And it's best for both parties. Plus, you get rid of that forty-something million dollar contract, which I must say also, let's not forget. You know, Dame signed a supermax. When guys sign supermaxes, you're hindering your team's ability to maneuver because his his pay just went from thirty to forty-three, and then it's going to go up. I think it gets to forty-six, and then I think forty-eight or fifty. That's a lot of money. So if, if it gets to the point where the Blazers realize we we're just not going to be able to pull it off, they can clear that money. Get a bunch of picks, start over with some young talent. So I, th- I think by next summer, if they don't make a move, that's what's going to happen. Yeah, I, I feel like this is the year where he's letting them hopefully make the changes that he is looking for, and then he's going to play it out through the season. And I think I think during the season will be the time where you know All Star break that just isn't really changed. I wouldn't be surprised if like the All Star this is where it really turns up, or you know obviously before next summer is a possibility as well, but. I think he's going to let them play it out this offseason and let them do what hopefully makes him feel better and makes him feel what he wants and the season will ride out. Right. And also, it can't be ignored. This They got they hired his the guy he wanted as, as coach. I mean, I, I don't believe for a second that Chauncey Billups – I mean, maybe he takes the job anyway, but I don't believe for a second that they go through the whole process of bringing in Chauncey Billups and all the controversy that came with that because Dame Lillard is going to leave. <laughs> I mean, like, I just don't, I just don't believe that would happen. Well, I think that uh, Chauncey is a guy that Dame wanted, and I don't think I do believe that Dame might not have known about the stuff from the past because a lot of people just didn't. He know. didn't. Like, he he didn't know as of he didn't know prior to June fifth when he told Yahoo he wanted kid and like Billups. He did. He did, yeah. that's when he learned. So he yeah. he knew then. He, he he's admitted to this. He yeah. knew he knew then through the entire process. Of them hiring, going through the process. He was a part of that process. He sat in on Zoom interviews with people. Yeah. He was involved. So, yeah. and he said he wanted this guy and that's who they hired. Now, Neil wanted him too. They both were in lockstep on that, but they still hired a guy that he wanted. I just can't I, believe that he's going to bail after one year. And plus, they don't have to trade him anyway, but I don't believe he's going to demand a trade before year one of the era of the coach he said he wanted. I think Dame certainly picked him, but I definitely 100% believe that this is all Neil's hire. Like, th- this is Neil's guy. This is who Neil wanted to hire all along. And I, I, I believe that that's his guy. Like, he wanted him He wanted him from the beginning. And I think Dame certainly played a part in it, but I think this was all Neil's hire. If Damian Lillard went to Neil Olshay and said, I do not want to play for Chauncey Billups, Chauncey Billups would not be the coach. I don't know, man. <laughs> I, think I think Neil still would have. I, I, I think that Neil no would have way. still hired him. No way. I, no I way. still think that he still just. I don't like. I don't like. So I, I, you're going <laughs> to alien. You're going to alienate Lillard in a in a in an off season where he he's basically talking about you know transition. I mean, there's there's no way that, like that you're you're doing everything you can to appease Lillard at this point and it, hiring a coach he wouldn't want. Is yeah. not what you do. So no, no, I, I, no yes, O'Shea wanted him, but he doesn't hire him unless Dame's on board. I, I firmly believe that. Aaron, owners and front so, office people in sports do do so much of make so many decisions on their own head spaces with no regards to players. They do it so much. Like it, all across sports, we've seen players just get traded because. You know, owners and GMs want to stick to their philosophies, whatever it is, or stick to their their coaches or what have you. So, like, I really do believe that this was Neil's guy and it, it would have happened regardless. Like, we've seen players in the NFL, like, get traded when 
you know, they get traded because their team wants to stick with their coach, who they eventually are just going to fire like three months <laughs> anyway after that, right? Like the commitment to from owners and GMs, man, they are very headstrong on like their philosophies and their ways. And then when they got a guy, they are going to hire them. It does. I'm. They're going to be very straightforward about what, it. I'll so I think. So I think Neil would have did it regardless. If okay, again, if Lillard didn't say anything at all. I think O'Shea hires Billups. If Dame said, I don't want to play for Chauncey Billups, there's no way Neil O'Shea is going to hire him anyway. If you can name for me a major superstar who said to the said to management, I don't want to play for that guy, and they hired him anyway, you bring that you bring that scenario to me. I don't recall anything like that. Um, I think for the most part in history, a player is going to get, especially a rookie coach, it's not like, you know, if someone said, I don't want to play for Phil Jackson after he's won eight titles, you might tell that player to kick rocks. But if it's just a guy who's never been a head coach before and you're going to alienate a superstar, I defy you. I, I challenge you to name that scenario because I don't think it's ever happened. But anyway, moving on from that, let's talk about USA basketball because I'm concerned, man. Are they going to win gold? Too. They've already lost two exhibitions. They got guys dropping like flies due to COVID protocol. Their roster is bizarre. JaVale McGee? Really? He's a he's an Olympian. He serves a role, but he's an Olympian. That's that's what you got out there. You got your perimeter defense is is, is whack. I mean, they're going to get Holiday. They're going to get a Booker. So that that's going to help Holiday especially. Um, I don't know. Do you do you think they're going to win it? Where are we with this team? I don't think they're going to win it. But I think it'll be. But I think they'll have some fun games. I think it'll be cool. Um, I'm looking forward to watching more of you know the different teams that are in it and and, and really being able to discover like, players from different. Um, places across the globe, but I don't think that I don't think they're gonna win it. I think I think they're really just struggling to get through this in the first place. Like they're not panicking, obviously, but I think that they are really just not gonna be they're not gonna be as good as they have in the past years. I think you know Dame KD will be there, of course, doing well. Um, but I, I'm 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 honestly this is might be the first Olympic. Well, I mean, obviously, we're all rooting for Team USA, but this is this might be the first Olympics for me where I like. You know, I'm really looking forward in terms of U.S. and in terms of basketball that I'm really looking forward to seeing the other teams versus just how USA plays. Like I'm solely focused on all the other teams that they're going to be playing and the talent that they have and watching those games more than just watching Team USA this year. Yeah, there's, a, there's definitely some interesting teams out there. It's so fascinating to me as someone who remembers the 88 team losing to Russia and then that was the end of the college kids. And then, you know, the feeling was, okay, once you add NBA players, the, you know, U.S. will never lose, right? But they did lose in, in 2004 because it was just a poorly constructed team. And teams across the globe were becoming f- far more skilled. Like every Olympics, you could tell the skill level was rising. And the clear indication was that there was more and more people from outside the United States making it in the NBA. And the vast majority of them could shoot. They were shooters. They weren't growing up trying to dunk like Mike. They were growing up trying to shoot. And the three-pointer, especially in international play, when it's closer, if you have a bunch of guys running around there who can shoot the ball, the, the shoe endorsement deals, the mega contracts these guys have in the NBA, the the fame and, and the, the, the great physical talent they have becomes more and more obsolete because – three points is three points. You don't have to be a great athlete to shoot a three-pointer, right? And if And if – my team 
works harder than your team on defense and works harder to get guys open for threes because your team is lazy on defense just relying on their talent, I'm going to beat you. My team's going to beat you because we're going to drain threes all day on you. That's what happened in the first couple of games. Now, I do believe when push comes to shove, when they get when they get down to the nitty-gritty, I really have a hard time believing that Kevin Durant at 100 and Damian Lillard at 100 and then whatever else is around them is going to lose. I, don't, I just I just don't believe those two aren't going to be able to exercise their will and dominate to a point to eke out victory. So I'm holding out hope that they're going to win it. But man, this is a flawed roster, and I'm definitely uh, paranoid. When you say a hundred, do you mean 100? not paranoid, afraid that they're going to lose? I mean playing at a hundred percent, like like you know intensity, like playoff. Yeah. NBA oh, no. playoff yeah, yeah. I, I was going to clarify. Did you mean like 100% like for them physically or like they got to score each 100 points a game? Because I think they no, have no. to score 100 <laughs> points a game if they want to be able to have a chance. Like I really do. Wow. <laughs> so when you said they got to be 100, I'm thinking like, oh, yeah, they got to score 100 each if they want to be in there. <laughs> I, I mean, you you might end up being right. I mean, but I, I'm just I'm going to hold out hope that, you know, if you OK, let's say it's late in the game. It's a tight game. If I'm putting it on the floor. Lillard, Tatum, Middleton, Durant, and Booker. Let's just oh, throw yeah. that out. I forgot about that. I forgot about Chris and Drew and Devin Booker. They're exactly. leaving on they're Saturday. Add, they're, they're adding them to the team, right? Yeah. I just have a heart. Like, if those guys go out there and lose, and they don't, and they're only going to lose if they if they don't give the effort on defense. They have to give max effort on defense because you can't give. I mean, the one thing about basketball that's that's always funny is like, you know, in baseball, if my pitching is money, you're not going to hit it. If On defense, if I'm popping you in the mouth, you're not going to gain many yards. In basketball, if I don't get in your grill on a shot, anyone could shoot. Like, shooting is something that any human being can learn to, to do. I mean, you have to have talent, obviously. But shooting is the one thing where you can go to any park and find dudes who can shoot threes all day. In high school, you see guys hitting threes all day. And think of all the guys in college who are amazing three-point shooters but can't make it in the NBA because of athleticism. But you leave them open, they will light you up. And that's what these international teams will do. So these guys have to play defense. Damian Lillard has to guard or he's going to score 24. And I'm like, oh, my God, Damian's scoring 24. And the guy he's guarding is going to score 30, which is what kind of happens in the regular season anyway. So. Well said, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> and Damian Lillard is going to hate me. So, uh, are we done? I think I think we've concluded. We <laughs> you have anything else you want to add? <laughs> uh, oh, we're going to touch on Norm? Oh, yeah. Let's, let's talk about Norman Powell real quick. This, this goes back to our conversation about uh, the roster. So, yeah. when, they, when they traded Trent and Rodney Hood for Powell, the idea was 100% to re-sign him. And that the feeling was that they would have the inside track to re-sign him because they have his bird rights. They can give him more money than anybody. Um and they didn't want to invest that type of money into Gary Trent, who's a restricted free agent, which means they'd have to match anything because Powell is older, wiser, fits more with Dame's timeline, so to speak, and he's just more versatile than Trent. But if you were to lose Powell for nothing and have lost Trent for nothing, basically, other than having Powell for two months, that would be devastating because they're still going to be over the cap. So it's not like they're going to run out and sign some major free agent to, to replace Powell. So re-signing him is absolutely imperative. If they don't, offseason is already a disaster. If they do, though, what's his role? And does he want to play the three next to CJ? Or is he going to be like, you know, I'll resign with you after you trade CJ to bring in a legit wing so I don't have to guard six foot ten guys? 
<laughs> what do you think? Yeah. Here's, okay, so here's a thought that I had when I was thinking about the Norman Powell thing. And let me know if like this is out of bounds or just where my head is at, but I'm just this is just where my head was at. This team is pretty desperate to re-sign Norm Powell, who is right now slotted as like their number three guy. I think it says a lot about where their roster is if you're this desperate. Like, no disrespect to Norm Powell. Norm Powell is a great player, and there's nothing against him. But like, if your desperation is really high for your third guy, like I think that just says a lot about your roster construction. And your, and you your third, feel, and, your, and your third guy is Norm Powell, not necessarily. Paul George, right? Yeah. Like, if you're just that, like, this is a big deal, right? To be able to bring him back. And if it's like, right. your roster is not already, like, suited or is not good enough to be like, man, you're really banging on Norm Powell to resign. Like, that says a lot of just about the state of your roster and where you are if yeah. you're banking on that pretty heavy. And again, this is no shade of Norm Powell. Norm Powell's a great young player, but I think that, man, like, that, your third option. Should, you should not be in this desperation mode for your third option. And that just says a lot to me just about where the roster is and, and, and the changes that they need to have if they're really banking on that. No, and no, I agree. As far as winning a championship, yes, no doubt. But when they added Powell, they improved on def- – well, the defense was almost a little bit of a wash from Powell to Derrick Jones, but Powell was such a, was such a better well, – he's a more versatile scorer than CJ in yeah. many ways. So yeah. their offense from, from Powell, Nurkic, and Nurkic returning and CJ returning, their offense on was, I think, rated number one in the NBA for the rest of that season. And for the season, you know, again, we talk about the roster, they finished fourth in offensive rating for the season with CJ missing 25, with, with Nurkic missing 30, and with just having Powell for two, for two months. So with Powell back, at the very least, this is going to be an elite offense. This is going to be a top four rated offense in the league. If you lose Powell, you're still going to be Good offensively because they were good offensively before losing Powell because Simons and Trent were going off and dropping threes like crazy. You keep Powell, you're going to be even better. But the big key for them and with Powell and why Powell's so important is that he does bring it on defense. And that's why if you swap out CJ for a good three and you start yeah. Powell at the two, you improve so much defensively right there, assuming that that small forward can play defense, which you wouldn't make a trade if he couldn't. And that's where you see the balance. That's where you say, okay, we're top four. Offense and now our defense rises up to the to the high teens. Now you start looking at a team that's going to make noise. Maybe not win it, but they're going to make some noise. That's why they got to keep Powell. Right, and plus I they can't replace I, him. <laughs> Go ahead. That too. Right, and I, I don't know if I've touched on it here, but I think I've written about it in the past. But CJ is the most valuable asset they have to trade. Like if you oh, have absolutely. to trade CJ and move Norm to the two and. Get what you can to bring in somebody else that's really good. I think you just got to do it because that's the most valuable asset that you had. And if you got to live in Norm Powell now being your number two, I think you got to do that, right? Like that is that to me is more lo- that's a more logical move to me is just resigning Norm and then moving on from CJ. Yeah, you you cannot if they lose Norman Powell, I don't even I don't even know what they would do. And I and you have to give you know as much Neil he as Neil takes, um, you know he did. He made two major moves this season that did help the roster in terms of the supporting cast, in terms of getting Covington instead of using that first-round pick, which ended up being Isaiah Stewart, and then this year's first-round pick, which will be, what, 20-something, and then getting Powell for Trent, who was a second-round pick. Like Those are two guys who play D. Covington had his best season ever at shooting threes, shooting 38%. Um, They bring want to. They bring energy. 
to that team. Yeah. The problem is that that's a great base. You got to come over the top with another star, and then then you're legit. Like then you can make a move. But that guy, that guy doesn't exist very often. The, the, the Paul Georges and Kawhis and Durants. That's what we're talking about. Yeah, they don't. They're not available to you. And if you get yeah. someone who's a third tier guy, and that like it makes you a little bit better, but it's not going to help you win a championship because not only do you not have one of those star guys, you have to compete against a team that has multiple guys like that. That too, and and, and it like gets back bucks. to <laughs> that. And it kind of gets back to you know what we talked about at the beginning, where like you just do have to kind of get lucky. Like I'm 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 all crediting John Hammond for drafting Giannis and getting Chris Middleton in as a throw on a trade, but yeah, there is that there to get out of that funk like. You really have to be able to draft well and draft and and be able to find a guy or get somebody dirt cheap in free agency that's under the radar, whatever it is. Like you really just got to be able to, to. If you're a team in this type of market, like you have to get lucky in a way and and really be able to get somebody that's under the radar because signing guys in free agency like that, it's just it's just tough. Like when there's other bigger markets that they can go to, it's just so much tougher. And the last point I bring is that I talked about this with somebody else the other day, but like Charlotte. Is a really good young team, right? Charlotte is it's it's right. It's they're a good young rising team, and if they get lucky with another like star through the draft, that's they could be a championship team in a few years, and like that they can they can be like the next Milwaukee, where you have Lamella Ball, you have a lot of young talented guys in there, and if you're able to get somebody like that, it's it's tough for them because they've been in that market where they've just been average for so long, and they've been stuck in that rut for so long where they're signing all the dudes in free agency that nobody wants to overpay for, and now they could right. be that team, right? Um, if they're able to get lucky for that too, so it's a tough situation for like the smaller market teams. Where they just got to get lucky. You got to be able to draft well. You have to be able to find guys under the radar. You got to be able to to take advantage of the clearance rack. In other words, sometimes, man, and yeah, you really got to be able to to do that to get your team over the top. Well, of all the major th- things that Portland gets criticized for, their management gets criticized for. Yeah, there's hits, there's hits and misses for everyone. But and this isn't really a criticism. This is a hindsight twenty twenty thing. But have the Blazers taken Giannis instead of CJ? You know. For whatever reason, and a lot of people missed on Giannis, obviously. He went 15th, for crying out loud. He's a two-time MVP and yeah. a champion, right? Yeah. But just imagine if, if they would have just, wow, this is athletic freak. He's pretty raw. But, man, you know, look how physically gifted he is. Let's take him over a 6-3 guard out of Lehigh who might develop into something pretty good. Like, it's like Damon, Damon Giannis together would be working on – their second, or, this would have been probably their second or third title by now. Like those two together would have been one of the greatest combos ever put together organically. Let alone uh, even you know trading and, and and signing free agents. I mean, Shaq and Kobe obviously number one, maybe uh, Magic Kareem. But still, you get my point. That that would have been just a phenomenal situation. But they didn't do it. It's hindsight. Milwaukee did do it. They pulled the trigger on the young raw guy. And then made some other great moves around him and got it done. And, and now I got and now I got this championship. And now, you and now got I got this championship hat on my on my head right now. They're just yeah. barely snug because of how long my hair is. But and how old is he? Giannis is twenty six. Yeah, only twenty six. Twenty six years old. Two time MVP, Finals <clears throat> MVP, Depoy, first Battle Hall of Famer. Twenty six years old. You got eight years of that's insane. Left. That's insane yeah. to think about, man. And and I think like so much of the discussion about Giannis is just like the playoffs expose these guys' flaws. Like that's part of it. 
right? But this guy just continued to like really push through so much of the stuff, like the free throws, three point shooting. It drove me insane, but he right. continued to push through. And that dude's that that dude's like strength for going through adversity, from like his own personal journey to the NBA to the struggles on the court, man, it is it is extremely admirable, man, to see that guy push through and really go through it and, and to be able to succeed the way that he did. Like the dude went like Steph Curry at the free throw line and a closeout game six and dropped a fifty piece. That is insane, man. <laughs> and, and I think that we, I think it's just, it's just so easy for so many people on like social media to have dumb discussions about him and dumb discussions about NBA stuff, and people are just just forget to marvel at how incredible. Stuff like that is, man. It's such a pleasure and such a like amazing, amazing thing to be able to watch basketball and to really be able to see these dudes do stuff that's like undescribable. Yeah, agreed. All right, we man, we went we went pretty long there. Good job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we went pretty long today. It was it was fun, man. Well, congratulations. I'm happy for you. Thank um, you. you know. I went through it with the Cubs. It was longer, but I didn't live. I didn't, but I didn't live through all 108. I only lived through you know, 40 of it. Uh, so, but I can. So I can relate to what it feels like to have a long time uh, drought with your favorite team. So I'm, I'm happy for you. I'm glad you got to go to it. That's an amazing experience. Something you'll never forget. Uh, so maybe you know people listening out there in Blazer Land, someday maybe uh, Blazers fans in Portland can enjoy the same euphoria that Iran just experienced. And that is it. Cool. The Blazer Focus Podcast. Thanks for joining. Ron, I appreciate having you on. And uh, we'll have you on again soon. Um, don't forget to click subscribe. Don't forget to give us a robust positive rating. And don't forget to check back later as we delve into free agency, which begins in a couple weeks. We've got the draft coming up first, but the Blazers do not have a pick as of yet. Who knows? They can make a big deal and get up in the draft. We'll see. But we'll be back with more episodes of the Blazer Focus Podcast. Bucks and six. <laughs> I had to throw that in there. <laughs>